Well, good morning, church. Go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, if you've got a Bible or a smartphone, you can find a Bible on the smartphone too. And today's message is entitled, When Plans Fall Apart. If you've been with us, then you know we've been going verse by verse through the whole book of Romans. The first 11 chapters of Romans has been all about the gospel, why we need to be saved and how Jesus saved us and how we receive his gift of salvation by trusting in him. Starting with Romans chapter 12, Paul began to teach us how to live as Christians. Because we're saved by Jesus, we're supposed to live for God and not for ourselves, and we're supposed to love others. In chapter 14, Paul got specific in how we can love each other even when we disagree over those gray areas that are not spelled out in Scripture. Paul continued this idea in Romans chapter 15. If you look with me at the screen in verse 1, Paul said, When we who are strong, sorry, we then who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification, or to, to build them up and strengthen them. 4, verse 3, even Christ did not please himself. So Paul brought in this idea that we are called to be united in Christ, even though we come from different backgrounds, from different cultures, even though we have different convictions. We are all one body in Jesus. We are one church. We read in Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 5, how Paul says, Now, May the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So Paul points out that one reason we should receive each other is because the more united we are, the more glory God gets through His church, through you and me. Now we pick up our text today in Romans chapter 15. In verses 14 through 33, we read about Paul's plans. Paul's plans. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Paul says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points, as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God. So, in other words, Paul is saying, hey, I've written a lot of things so far, and I know that you know them already. I'm not trying to teach you new truth. You know the gospel. You know where to love each other. You know all these things. But Paul says, I'm reminding you. You see, maybe when you were first saved, you couldn't get enough of the Bible. It was just coming alive and everything was so exciting and it was so new. And yet sometimes we can reach a place where we read something in the Bible or we hear something on a Sunday morning and we think, oh yeah, I know that. And we kind of we're tempted to tune out a little bit. And yet, rather than tune out because we already have that knowledge, God desires for us to tune in and let our souls be reminded of His truth. 
You see, we need to be reminded of God's truth because it's about obedience, not knowledge. And if you want to take notes today, that's your first fill in the blank in your note sheet on the back of your bulletin. We need to be reminded of God's truth because it's about obedience, not knowledge. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24, He said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. We could use a little bit of that, right? And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, they will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. So Jesus compares those who hear the word and obey it versus those who hear the word and don't obey it. You see, when we read and we reread the Bible, we do more than simply remind ourselves of the truth, but we're giving ourselves the opportunity to respond to that truth and to ask ourselves, well, I know that I know this, but am I obeying it? Am I doing what God is telling me to do? And that's why Paul wrote to the Romans, to remind them of the gospel message, that Jesus saved them from their sins, and to remind them how they ought to love one another as a result. So Paul continues in verse 16, and Paul says, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, the word Gentiles just refers to everybody who is not from Jewish descent, all non-Jews. So even though Paul was a Jewish Pharisee, he was a religious leader, he was a leader among the Jews, when Paul became a Christian, God sent him to minister to the Gentiles, not to the Jews, not to his own people. And here in verse 16, Paul shares his calling. I've been sent to share the gospel to the Gentiles so that they might be acceptable to God. Kind of an interesting way he phrases that, be acceptable to God. You see, we read in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners, and therefore none of us are acceptable to God because we're not perfect. Later on in Romans 6.23, we read, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because we're sinners, we have earned ourselves death, spiritual death, hell, separation from God for all eternity. But God in His love, He sent His Son Jesus to live the perfect life that we failed to live. Jesus then died on the cross in our place, paying the debt of our sin in full. And because Jesus was perfect and sinless, when he died, death couldn't hold him. But he rose again, came back to life, conquering the grave, so that anyone who trusts in Jesus will no longer be separated from God. If you trust in Jesus, then his death cancels out the debt of your sin and you become accepted by God. You're not accepted because you were good enough. 
You're not accepted because you tried hard enough, but you're accepted because you've received the free gift of salvation that Jesus has earned on your behalf and on my behalf. And so Paul says, my calling is to share this gospel, this good news, this message to the Gentiles so that they might be accepted by God. And we're all accepted by the same way, trusting in Jesus. Look back at how verse 16 ends. He said that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified, or set apart by the Holy Spirit. You see, after trusting in Jesus, you're now a Christian. You're saved. You're headed for heaven. But even better than that, more than that, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, begins to dwell inside of your heart. You see, even though we're saved, we're still not perfect. We still struggle with our flesh. But the Holy Spirit begins to change our heart, begins to change our desires. He begins to make us more and more like God from the inside out. And I'm so thankful that God doesn't just save us and say, all right, see you later. See you when you get to heaven. No. He says, okay, now you're still worthless, but I'm going to fill you with my spirit. And I'm going to make something out of you. And I'm going to even use you for my work in my kingdom. That's amazing. Now, look at verse 17. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus, in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient. So Paul says, Paul would boast in what God did through him, because Paul recognized God gets all the credit. What did God do through Paul? Well, he tells us in verse 19. He says, In mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So God did mighty signs and wonders through Paul. And Paul says, It wasn't me, it was God. He gets the glory. At the time of writing this, this letter of, the, of Romans, Paul had shared the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum, modern-day Croatia. And again, Paul says, well, yes, I was faithful. I was bold to share the gospel. I was willing to travel, and I endured much hardship. But God gets all the glory because God did it through me. I love that. You see, your next fill-in-the-blank on your note sheet God saves us, He empowers us, and then He calls us to be His hands and His feet. And yet, He doesn't force us. He waits for us to step out in obedient faith. And when we do, God gets all the credit. Waiting for you and I to step out in obedient faith. For example, God's called me to teach His Word. And I'll spend days leading up to Sunday morning trying to do my best to teach His Word. Now, if I get up here and say something stupid, that's me, right? Give me all that credit. I'll take that. Put my name on that. But if, if I teach and you grow in your understanding of God's Word, if you are encouraged to respond to God's Word, then praise God. He gets all the glory. He gets all the credit. Jesus is the one that saved me from my sin. Jesus is the one that's filled me with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the one who's used me for His glory. 
Isn't it amazing that he can use broken people like me, like you? He uses us for his purpose and his glory. And we get used more and more the more we step out in obedient faith. Paul continues in verse 20. He says, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he has to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. So Paul says, I really wanted to go where people didn't know about Jesus. I wanted to be a pioneer for the gospel. I wanted to reach the unreached. And he says in verse 22, For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. Paul says, I've wanted to come to you in Rome, but I haven't been able to because there's been so many places that don't have any churches, that don't know about Jesus, that I've needed to go and preach the gospel. And people have been saved, and I've helped start these new churches. But because of all of these areas, like Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi, that didn't know Jesus, Paul says, I've been much delayed in coming to you in Rome. It's been roughly 25 years since Paul's conversion. And finally, he's almost ready to come to Rome. Look at verse 23. Paul says, But now, no longer having a place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey, and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. At the time of Paul writing this letter that we call Romans, He's writing from Corinth. He's finishing his third missionary journey. If you prefer the timeline of the book of Acts, this is Acts chapter 20, when Paul is in Corinth writing this letter to Rome. Now that he's finishing his third missionary journey, he plans to come to Rome in person on his way to Spain, which was the western edge of the Roman Empire. But first, before he heads that way, he is heading back to Jerusalem. Look at verse 25. Paul says, but now, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. The believers in Jerusalem are suffering. They're poor. We don't know if there's a famine or what's going on, but they have some need. And these believers that Paul has been ministering to in the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth, they've gathered money and they've sent money with Paul to give to the church in Jerusalem to provide for them, to bless them in their time of need. There's no Venmo, no PayPal. So they've given Paul this sack of money or whatever it was. And he's personally taking it with him on his way back to Jerusalem to give it to the church and say, hey, this is from the Gentile believers. No, you heard me right. The Gentiles. You know the ones that you don't have anything to do with? Well, we're all one in Christ. You see, you guys are all used to be Jews, but now you're Jews for Jesus. And your Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ have given you this gift. How cool. We're all one in Christ. Look at verse 27. 
Paul says, it pleased them, the Gentile churches indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. You see, these Gentile churches, they recognized that the church was born in Jerusalem in a group of Jews. They recognized that the first missionaries to send the gospel out were Jews. They recognized that they've inherited this salvation from the Jews. And so what they've gained spiritually, they say, well, it's, it's only all, all we can do is give to them materially. Say, here, take this gift. May, may our excess provide for your lack in this time because we're all united together. I like how the New Living Translation puts Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. It says, In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us. I love that. You see, these churches, they recognize that God is cross-cultural. He's not just the God of one nation, but the God of all nations. And so, Paul continues explaining his travel plans in verse 28. Paul says, Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Remember that Romans is one long letter that Paul wrote to the believers in Rome. And way back in chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, Paul said, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you, believers in Rome, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Paul knew that if he ever made it to Rome, man, they would be blessed to have his fellowship. But he also knew he would be so blessed to have their fellowship. You see, it's the blessing of Christians gathering together. And not just gathering, but gathering together and talking about Jesus. It's why we think life groups are so essential. A place where we can build relationships and talk about Jesus and pray for each other. And if you don't know what life groups are, come talk to me afterwards. You don't want to miss it. But if you've been putting it off, maybe you've been thinking, I can't make it every week, so I'm not going to sign up. Sign up and just make it when you can. Because it's so encouraging for you to have that fellowship of other believers, but also there's other believers that could use your fellowship. And so get in a life group today. Now, Paul finishes the chapter with a request. Look at verse 30. Paul says, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. So in, in simple words, Paul's just saying, would you pray with me? Pray for me. But notice the strong words Paul uses. He begs them to strive together in prayer. 
the Greek word that's translated strive together is synagonizomai, right? Gesundheit. But look at that middle part. Agonize. Agonize. To agonize together in prayer. That's what Paul's begging them to do. I don't know about you, but I'll confess, I don't agonize in prayer enough. I don't. But I want to. I want to set aside time to do nothing but pray. But please don't get me wrong. The purpose of agonizing in prayer is not to manipulate God. The purpose of agonizing in prayer is not to coerce God to do my will, but to remind myself where my help comes from. You see, when we agonize in prayer, we're laying our our burdens out before the Lord. We're asking Him to accomplish His will and His plan in our life. But we're also humbling ourselves before Him, saying, Lord, You're what's most important, and I'm surrendering to You this situation, this thing. I'm going to agonize in this and say, Lord, I can't do it, but I'm going to give it to You. So Paul asked the Romans, hey, pray for me. Pray for me. And here's his prayer request in verse 31. Paul says, Pray for me that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. Remember, before he tries to go to Rome, he's going to head towards Jerusalem to give them this gift. But he knows in Jerusalem there's a lot of Jews who are not Jews for Jesus. In fact, some of these Jews are his old buddies that believe Paul is a false teacher who think that they would be serving God by putting Paul to death. And so Paul knows it's dangerous. And Paul says, hey, would you pray for me that when I go to Jerusalem, I'll be delivered from those who might not be so friendly. Now, Paul also asked them to pray, look at the rest of verse 31, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So another part of Paul's prayer request was that he might finally make it to Rome by the will of God. And that's what I want to dive into for the remainder of our study today. I want us to look at Paul's plans versus God's will. Again, Paul is currently in the city called Corinth writing to believers in Rome. His plan is to go to Jerusalem, drop off the cash, say, hey, the Gentiles' churches, they say hi. And then he wants to head to Spain, stopping in Rome on his way. And he asks the Romans, hey, pray for me as I begin my plan. But if you remember the story in Acts, starting with Acts chapter 20 until the end, Paul does get to Jerusalem, but... After only a week, there's some enemies that arise. You see, there's some Jews that recognize Paul. And they say, hey, we don't like this guy. He's stirring up trouble. And they bring up some false charges against Paul. And they cause a riot to come up against Paul. And they grab him and they start beating him to death. Trying to kill him. The Romans, they step in. Because they don't like the peace to be disrupted. 
And so the Romans, they step in and they arrested Paul just to protect him and save him and say, hey, what are you doing? It's like when you do with your kids, right? You pull the kids apart and you say, knock it off, stop fighting. That's what the Romans were doing. Well, Paul is put in jail for his safety and while he's there, 42 Jews, they say, we're not going to eat or drink until we kill Paul. We want the end of this guy. But their plan is discovered. And so Paul is sent up to Caesarea where he's secured safely in prison. And the Roman governor up there in Caesarea, he knows Paul is innocent, but he's a smart guy. He says, you just hang out here and I'll let you go when when I'm ready. And what he's really wanting is a bribe. He says, we'll see how long you're here, but, you know, I could really use some cash. And that goes on for two years. Two years he's in jail for no reason other than this guy's waiting for a bribe. After two years, a new governor comes to office. And he says, Paul, why are you here? He's like, oh, there's this crazy stuff down in Jerusalem. Oh, well, I'll just send you back to Jerusalem because that's where this all started, right? Uh, No, because if you do that, there's guys that are really hungry and thirsty by now. They really want to kill me. I'm going to be killed if you send me to Jerusalem. So I appeal to Caesar. Paul was a Roman citizen. He had the right as a citizen to make his case go before Caesar. And so the new governor says, all right, uh, I don't know why you're going to go to Caesar because you're innocent, but to Caesar you shall go. And so he gets put on a ship and Paul heads to Rome. But if you know the story, they get stuck in a bad storm and they end up shipwrecking on an island and they're stuck there for another three months before finally reaching Rome. So now Paul's finally in Rome. Remember, he says, I want to make a pit stop in Rome and say hi to you guys, and then I want to you know, get back on the road and get to Spain. But when he gets to Rome, the authorities there say, well, we're just going to put you in jail on house arrest. We're going to treat you well, but you're stuck here for another two years. You can't go. Now, why did I go through all of that? Well, I'm fascinated to compare Paul's plan with God's plan. Paul's expectations with God's will. Paul said, I'm just going to stop by Jerusalem, then head to Rome for a pit stop on the way to Spain. But God had a different plan. Paul said, hey, Romans, I'll be there in a few months. Don't forget about me. I'm coming. Get the guest room ready. It's been a few years. And Paul finally makes it. But notice this. Paul remained faithful even when his plans didn't work out. God said of Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, God said, Paul is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. God called Paul to serve him and share the gospel with the Gentiles, and that's exactly what Paul did. When the Jerusalem mob tried to kill him, he shared the gospel with them. When he was shipwrecked on an island, well, he shared the gospel with those islanders. When he was imprisoned for two years without cause in Caesarea, well, he shared the gospel with the prisoners, with the guards, and with the kings that came to hear his case. When he couldn't travel once he was in Rome because he was on house arrest for another two years, he wrote letters to the churches, encouraging them in the gospel. And, by the way, that's how we got some of the books in our Bible. 
the letters of Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians and Philemon, Paul only wrote those because he was stuck in Rome on house arrest. And on a side note, I love that. I just, I'm kind of a geek and I'm a nerd, so I imagine what Satan's thinking. He's like, yes, got Paul locked up, finally. Well, what's Paul going to do? He's going to write Bible. So instead of planting more churches, he's going to write scripture that's going to encourage the church for thousands of years to come. I love that. God's got it in control. But no matter where Paul ended up, no matter how many times his plans fell apart, Paul continued to share the gospel with everyone that God put in his path. And that's the example that I want us to learn from. Your next fill in the blank. When our plans fall apart, keep obeying and serving the Lord. Keep obeying and serving the Lord. Because even when our circumstances change, God never changes. Even when our plans are disappointed, God never disappoints because He's given us eternal life with Him. You see, we tend to focus on the destination, but God focuses on the journey. We might be tempted to say, Lord, I'll serve you when I'm ready. Lord, I'll obey you when, I, when, I, when I'm ready to. Maybe it's, Lord, I'll, I'll serve you once I finish school, once I get my career started. Or, Lord, I'll spend more time with you and my schedule slows down. Lord, I'll, I'll, find, you know, I'll find a church once we get moved and settled and everything's calm and normal. What does that word even mean, right? Paul wanted to share the gospel in Spain, and we don't know if he ever made it. The Bible doesn't say. Some speculate that he did, but we don't know for sure. But notice, Paul did not say, God, I'll serve you once I make it to Spain. I really want to get there. But rather, Paul was happy to serve God wherever he was at. Maybe your plans have changed. Maybe you never expected to be in Willows, California. Maybe you never expected to still be in Willows, California. Maybe you never expected that relationship to end. Maybe you planned to have kids by now. Maybe you expected your kids to be a little bit more like you. Maybe you want them to be a little bit less like you. Maybe you plan for a career that's eluding you right now. However our plans have changed, I want us to look at three things to remember when our plans fall apart. And the first one is God's presence. God's presence. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, For He, God, Himself, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise. God's promise to never leave you nor forsake you. You may feel alone at times, but you're not. You see, don't trust your feelings, but trust God's Word. Remember, Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That was one of His titles as He came to this earth. David spoke of God's unending presence when he wrote in Psalm 139, starting in verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. 
no matter how dark or how remote or how difficult a place you are in right now. If you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then He is with you, and He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The second thing we must remember when our plans fall apart is God's purpose. God's purpose. Many of us are familiar with Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Notice that God does not say all things are good. He's not calling all of your circumstances good. But He is saying, in all things, I can work good. For followers of Jesus, God will take everything, no matter how ugly it is, and God says, I can use this for good. Even in the unexpected, even the wrong turns, even our own mistakes, God can and will use for His glory and His good. The third thing we must remember when our plans fall apart is God's plan. God's plan. You see, God's plan is that He's coming back. God's plan is that He will bring an end to death, sin, and Satan. Jesus will establish His kingdom, which will never end. The Apostle John tells us about this coming day in Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 3. John says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, or the dwelling place of God, is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And He said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. That's God's plan. A new heaven, a new earth, new heavenly bodies, no more sorrow, nor sin, nor pain, nor death. And the best part about God's plan, nothing can thwart it. No one can stop it. It's a sealed deal. All you have to do is join His side, and His plan becomes your plan. John says in the very next verse in Revelation 21, verse 6, And God said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. How can God say his plan is done if it hasn't happened yet? Well, one, God's outside of time. But two, God's plan is so sure that he can declare it finished even though it hasn't happened yet. Because his word will not change. He doesn't change. Jesus offers the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. In other words, everybody and anybody who recognizes, well, I am broken. I am a sinner. 
I'm not accepted by God in myself because when I think about it, I've broken his commands. And Jesus says, anyone who thirsts, come of me and drink. In other words, believe in him. Trust in him as your Lord and your Savior. Because if you don't have Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, then you don't have his presence. You don't have the promise of his purpose. And you don't have the hope of his plan. You're lost in your sin. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why Jesus says, Come, drink of me, trust in me, and all of these will be yours. If you trust in Jesus, then it's okay if your plans fall apart. I'm not saying you shouldn't be sad. I'm not saying we shouldn't mourn. But I'm saying if you trust in Jesus, then it's okay when our plans fall apart. Keep trusting in Jesus and stay faithfully obedient. You and I don't know what the next chapter of our life looks like. But we know the end. Jesus has written it down, and it won't change. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you loved us enough to come and live a perfect life and then to die on the cross in our place, paying for the debt of our sin, paying the punishment that we deserved, and then coming back to life, conquering the grave. Lord, we thank you that you love the whole world, that this invitation is open for any and all. And Lord, if there's anybody here or listening online that has not made you their Lord and Savior, maybe they've believed in in you in their mind, but they're not living for you. You're not their master, their Lord. Then God, I pray right now your Holy Spirit would speak to their heart, tugging on their soul, saying, come, drink of me. And if that's you, all you have to do is turn to Him, to cry out to Him and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, save me. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And God, use me for your glory. Take this broken life. Take these broken plans. And God, use it for your kingdom and purpose. And you will have his presence. You will have his purpose. And you will have his plan. Lord, for those of us that have trusted in you, we have so many amazing promises from you. The best of which is eternal life in heaven with you forever. No more death or sin or sorrow. But Lord, until we're there standing in your presence, Lord, we're in a broken world, in a broken body. And God, we ask that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and help us to know what it is today that you're calling us to obey you in, to respond to. And then, Lord, would you give us the strength of your Holy Spirit to respond and to say, yes, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. God, would you use each of us for your plan. And we thank you that you are so powerful and so loving, and yet so personal that you have a personal relationship with each of us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Lord, you get all the praise. 
and all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together. What a promise we have in Christ. Amazing. If we can pray for you in any way, we would love to. There's men and women up front that would love to pray with you, talk with you, answer any questions you may have. If you want to sign up for life groups, today is the last day to do it, so don't wait. The sign-ups are in the, on the table in the back. Otherwise, on your way out, say hi to somebody else whose plans have fallen apart and wish him a good day. God bless. Thanks for coming.